I'd like to thank the festival for inviting me to read and thank you all for coming out on such a dreary day to be warmed at the fire of poetry and big thanks to Pascal as well for this event. So I, I've got a bit of a smorgasbord of poems for you. Um, the book I'm not reading from was actually my PhD thesis so I don't think any of us will weep that I'm not going to read that to you today. Um, I'm going to start with a poem by Charles Causley uh, because it's the centenary year uh, for Causley. So I'd like to start with a nod to Mr. Causley. And I'll read my favourite poem from him. I, I keep thinking I'll read a different one, I'll read a different one, but every time I'm asked to read one of his poems, I read the same one. This is The Sheep on Blackening Fields. The sheep on blackening fields, no weather warning, no, as the thin sapping sun annihilates the snow. Winter has eased its grip, the struck fountain flows, burns in its lamp of leaves, the white flame of the rose. In the sharp river's gut, fish and blurred stars unfreeze, unclench at the moor's side, the fists of trees. Unscientifically housed, and in his hand a stone, grizzles in dusty hay, a naked child alone. A star of bitter red above the mountain crest writes on the squalling dark, Christus Natus Est. Silently, we renew the ruined bread and wine. Take the huge-bellied child, whose flesh is yours, is mine. I, I thought I'd answer back to that in some way to begin with because I was lucky enough to be a poet in residence in Causley's house for six months and um, a small book came from that called On Ridgegrove Hill so I'm going to read one from this it, it, it was quite strange living there the house is still full of his things his furniture, his pictures, his knickknacks and upstairs in his bedroom his reading glasses are still there as well which is quite can be quite spooky to be live in amongst other people's things but it, it was quite extraordinary to be able to be in a place where he'd spent so many years writing um, and in his study there was his typewriter and his writing desk and his piano and I think walls absorb what goes on inside of them so it was quite remarkable uh, to live kind of under his wing if you like, for six months. So I'm just going to read a short piece that will take us into his house. When you go into his house, uh, which is called Cypress Well, you step down. There are two steps down, which you don't always do. Often when you go into a house, it's on the level, but his house, you go down. So this is a little piece about entering Cypress Well. And it was called Cypress Well after the Saxon Spring nearby, which is Sybard's Well. Cypress Well, Causley's house, is a stepping down into house. I feel like we should dance. Who's <laughs> has got one. One step, then another, from front door to little hall, then into the lounge. You will come to see what this means. You will come down into the house, and because of this, you'll come down into yourself. 
into the well of yourself. You will keep going until you come to water. You will become a bucket and a rope, a round stone wall and a winching system. When you are full of water, you will haul the bucket of yourself back up. This is what the stepping down does. It lowers you down and hauls you up. It helps that the house is quiet, that nothing interrupts the race of the rope as it plummets. It also helps that there's a tradition of stepping down here, more than 30 years of it already. Whilst I'm in residency mode, um, I wanted to read a poem that I wrote here. So last year I came on a residency with a composer and a visual artist and we stayed in the stone barn for a week. And so this poem is, is dedicated to the people of St. Endelian and all those in Endelienta who helped that residency to happen. <clears throat> we were, it was quite remarkable, we were just put together and then trusted to do what we do for a week. And I spent quite a lot of time in here. Um, the icon isn't here at the moment, but I looked at St. Endelienta quite a lot and at the beautiful um, tapestry fabric image of her as well. And one thing I became quite mystified by was there was no mud on her hems. I mean, I've only been here less than 24 hours and already my shoes are covered in mud, my trousers are covered in mud. And I kind of thought, where's, where's the mud on this saint uh, from 800 years ago? She would have been muddy. And because there's a kind of vogue and a fashion at the moment for rewilding, I thought I would try and take that and apply it to a saint. So that's where this poem comes from. And it's, yeah, a huge thank you uh, to all the people of St. Indelium. Indelienta, rewilding a saint. I am for the saint's muddied robe, hem frayed and filthy. I am for the saint's blistered feet, sun-scorched face, hands cracked and raw from carrying wood in winter. I am for the saint's tired bones after a long journey by boat, the salt in her hair, fear in her heart. I am for the saint's keen eyes searching for a spit of land, the lust in her feet when she comes ashore. I am for the saint's love of a cow, its milk, warmth, friendship the saint who journeys without knowing where she will go. And for the saint who knows hunger, the migrating saint, the one who crosses boundaries. And for the saint with blackberry pips in her teeth, the saint who leaves her homeland because she has to, who knows hardship, who drinks from the same stream as a cow. And for the saint with dirt under her nails, who cries at night for the things she has lost, whose eyes are bloodshot. I am for the saint who does a jig with dogs on a full moon night, who learns the signatures of plants, heals with valerian, crouches down to piss on the ground. I am for the saint who asks for her burial plot to be chosen by a yearling cow 
the saint who sails into death as she sailed into life. And for the saint who lived as a woman and not a saint. And for the flourishing of the ground around her grave. And for Saint Indelienta. So she's remuddied. <laughs> uh, and next I'm going to read from my new pamphlet, uh, which is called Toots. And I will move from Celtic Cornwall to Scotland for this, but with a, a similar theme of how you talk about something uh, that's real. Um, quite a long time ago, I was a housekeeper in the Iona Abbey on the Isle of Iona in the Inner Hebrides. And it was an incredibly formative experience. I met people from all over the world. I lived in a community, breathed island air every day. And whilst I was there, I wrote one poem called Stepping Stones, which was just an embarrassment. It was dreadful. And for years afterwards, I, I tried to write about it, and I just couldn't. You know, there's such a strong idea of what Iona is. And it, my experience never lived up to that idea. It was very, very different from that idea, but I couldn't think of how else to write it. And so I abandoned it. I thought, well, that's just a phase of my life I'll never write about. And then three years ago, I had a fellowship in a castle in Scotland, and I was working on a different manuscript, uh, Hawthornden Castle, and every day you work in silence. It's very intense. And on the last day, something else happened, and it was half past 11, and I was getting ready to go out for a walk. I'd arranged to go for a walk with a friend, and something just exploded out of me, and it was poems from my time on Iona. And before I knew it, you know, there was a knock on the door. It's my friend saying, you're coming for a walk? And I said, I can't, I'm exploding. Uh, and she said, okay, we'll, we'll just wait for you downstairs then. Um, so I continued until, it was volcanic, that's how it felt, it felt volcanic. Um, so I finished writing and then went out for a walk. Um, and then I put them away for a while. Um, came back to them, and that's what I'm going to read from now. I'm going to read without any introductions to them, so I'm just going to read quite a few poems in a row. And there's a couple of things I'd like to tell you before I do that. Uh, one is, I mentioned an area of Glasgow called Royston. Uh, Royston is in the north of the city. Um, it's one of the rougher schemes, one of the rougher areas in Glasgow. And Dun E, I'll mention Dun E at one point, and Dun E is a hill, somebody's nodding already, they know, they know the hill, outside the front of the abbey, there is a hill called Dun E. Uh, the book is called Toots, and you will see why. So, I will just read now, to the end. <clears throat> Toots. The first time I saw Toots, she was standing on the second step of the refectory. Five feet two, voice like a pterodactyl. Jesus, I thought, who's that? She was fresh from the courts in Glasgow, breach of the peace, hair short and streaked. She walked like a tree, if trees could walk. I hated her at first sight. She hated me too which meant it was only a matter of time. 
recipe. To make a secret affair in an abbey, you need a cupboard stuffed with salt and pepper pots, a signal and a prearranged signaling time. You need to believe people only see what they want to see. You need to like being pressed in tight, airless and lightless, no room between you. Kisses hotter than summer sun, the pain of that, the pleasure too. You need to like lies and half lies, the language of each other's eyes. You need stealth and a stallion's legs to keep you running faster. Dead whale. Dead whale on the macca, a magnet in that winter month when nothing else was happening. White sand, flowers on white sand, big bodies starting to rot, and the question of how close to stand and whether or not to poke it. Once in America, they blew up a whale with dynamite to clear the beach. None of that here. Mesh of skin and rock and rocking sea. And whether to walk back via the hermit's cave or go to the pub for a whiskey. Love like this. There's more than one way to love. And God knows the first time she came and lay down beside me, we trembled so much the radiator pipes rattled and we had to inch the bed away from the wall. It was bliss. It was all the deer and vines and doves and honey. All the songs of Solomon saying, come away with me, my love. And so we went. Day stripped of decorum, old Celtic crosses starting to sway as the Calmac ferry ploughed from Finnefort to Iona, white scarves in its steely wake. Communion One. The kitten hated being alone, and Toots hated leaving it alone. Let's take it into the abbey, she said, persuading it under her jumper. Its soft, kittenish heart quickened next to her own. Ten minutes or so of quiet, sleeping kitten. Then it squirmed and clawed and sprang, and there was nothing she could do. Off it went, a flout of fur among feet, before it reached the edge of the pew and skittled into the aisle tail a mile high as it pranced and sashayed its way to the altar, where it climbed claw over claw up a ladder of gold and red embroidered cloth to find a mirror shiny cross and its own perfect reflection. Thief. And then there she was, climbing Dunee in Joan's electric wheelchair, the little machine struggling to get to the top, her face a riot of delight. Spell. And then, one day, we noticed the seven batik printed letters of the founding saint's name, 
hanging on the wall in the corridor to the common room had been changed from Columba to Colabum. Plinth. I wasn't going to talk about Royston. I wasn't going to mention glue or the high-rise block where someone she knew walked off the edge, thinking he was a character in a cartoon who could walk on air. I wasn't going to talk about drink or knives or drugs of every kind or dogs that shat in corners of rooms. I was going to talk about Betty White, the social worker who took Toots and her pals from Royston to Iona, year after year over the sound, to an island so strange they must have thought they were dreaming. I was going to ask why there aren't any statues of women like Betty White, why no one's cast her high up on a plinth in Glasgow city centre. Crossing the sound. Once, in the captain's cabin, after a shot or two of whiskey, he stepped to one side. Put the wheel in my hands. See how good she feels, he said. She began to cut a zigzag path instead of a straight, curvy line. Currents so strong they stole her arc, and I was helpless to make it otherwise. The captain laughed, took the wheel, and tamed her into the usual curve. And never again for granted the ferryman's strength, his knowledge of rocks and tides and currents. <clears throat> we love Tracy Grant, who we knew as Toots, and who, even though she changed the saint's name, asked in those last days for her ashes to be scattered in St. Columba's Bay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.